welcome to the sermon podcast of Redeemer Anglican Church of Franklin, Pennsylvania. Through every sermon, we hope that you are encouraged by the Word of God and the redeeming grace of Jesus Christ. To find out more about our church, visit our website at franklinredeemer.org. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, please be seated. One of the common themes that you find in in films and in stories is this theme of 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 returning home. Often the, you have the protagonist that has to return home and, and in so doing they are, are reminded of where they came from. Sometimes they're liberated from certain, certain past traumas, have to face into certain realities. But even though they are sometimes reminded of where they came from, and the, the reality is, is that when we return home to steal a phrase from a 1940s novel that turned into a film, you can never go home again. Because even when we go home, we realize that that home first was never fully what our nostalgic vision of it to be. But also, we can never fully return home because we are never the same person that we once were. And so we encounter it in a very different way. Um, so I was thinking about the idea of, of returning home. It, this is, wasn't my home as if where I grew up. It, it just made me kind of think about, for me, was, was later on in my life returning to where my family came from. Uh, the foothills on the border of West Virginia and in southern Greene County. And I would spend my summers as a kid there. I was extremely close to my pap and my grandma. We called her Gink. I don't know why it sounds nothing like grandma, but that's what we called her. Um, but I would spend my time with them, and I, and, and I, I, I adored them. And my pap was someone I looked up to greatly. He, he didn't have a ton of, of formal education. But I always said that um, if he was born in a different time or to a different family, uh, he probably would have had his PhD. Because the man knew everything about the land. He knew everything about every, every plant, every flower, its history. But as I got older, I, um, I, I, I wanted to distance myself from that, that reality of, of where my kin were from. Um, I wanted to uh, hide the fact that, um, that my neck does have a hue of red to it. <laughs> but I remember when, when my pap and my grandma died, um, and then returning home for those funerals and realizing how much I had spent to try to be somebody and something that I thought I needed to be to have significance in this world and to be of use to our Lord. And, and as I returned back, it was a reminder to me of part of who I am. 
And it was also a reminder to me that who I was was the one that Christ had called. And he hadn't called me as anyone else. And as we follow through the lectionary in this Easter tide, we follow through these post-resurrection appearances of Jesus. Last week, we had seen when Jesus appeared to the disciples and then to Thomas in the room as they were afraid. And now we have an appearance of Jesus as, as some of the disciples are at the Sea of Galilee. And they were there because they had remembered that Jesus had told them that after he was raised to go back to Galilee. And he was going to meet them there. And I don't... I don't think that, that this call that he had for them to go to Galilee was just pragmatic or happenstance. I think that he was calling them to go back because he was, he was in essence, calling them to go home. Back to where this whole thing began. And I feel like part of that was that Christ knew that in returning to the beginnings that they would then be able to gain greater understanding of the new beginning that had been initiated by Christ's resurrection. So for this Sunday, I want to just reflect a little bit at the disciples' post-resurrection return home and focus on how this was first a reminder to them but also how it revealed how much they had changed. Especially shown in Peter's response to Jesus. So to jump right into it, at first look at, it, at, at this return home, this post-resurrection, going back to Galilee as a reminder. If you have your bulletins, you can open it up there. If you have your Bibles, um, you can open up to to John 21, verses 1 through 3. It says, After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. And he, and he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee and two others of his disciples, were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, We will go with you. They went out and got into the boat. But that night, they caught nothing. Um, The Sea of Tiberias is actually just another term that they used for the Sea of Galilee. The disciples were back on their home turf, as I said. They were back where this all started. If you read through the gospel narratives, many of Jesus' miracles, many of Jesus' teachings were all centered around the Sea of Galilee. And we have Peter, some of the disciples, kind of unsure, I think, of what to do next and what's going on. And in the midst of trying to process and deal with things, he tells the others that I'm going fishing. A lot of times people comment on this and say, oh, look, the disciples went back to their old occupation, but it doesn't seem to be the way the narrative's speaking of it. They weren't back there saying, like, let's start back our fishing industry. It was just Peter saying, I'm going fishing, and the rest of them being like, well, what else do we got to do? We might as well join him. And it's interesting because this was not a post 
crucifixion of Jesus where they said, we'll go back to our old lives. No, this is post-encounter with the resurrected Jesus. They had a sense in which the reality of the resurrection changed everything. They, they began to have a sense of, of what it meant for Jesus. We see that because we have Thomas calling him my God. Begin to understand what this means for the kingdom promises and, and what God was doing for Israel. But I, I, I feel like they are at that moment, though, waiting, unsure what to do with themselves because they hadn't fully realized what it meant for them, for their lives. And if you don't know what to do, you might as well go fishing. I, I connect with Peter on multiple levels here. Um, whenever I'm trying to process life or I feel overwhelmed or I, can't, I don't know what to do next, I, I connect because that's when I'm like, I, I just want to go fishing. And I also connect with the disciples on this because usually when I go fishing, I come back and have caught nothing. I like to fish. I'm just not good at it. Someday, maybe. Um, but then it goes on in, in 21, 4 through 7. It says, just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. He said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish that the disciples whom, <clears throat> that the disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, It is the Lord. Now when you read this, for the disciples, this would have been almost like deja vu. Reminding them back to the first calling of the first disciples. This gospel records, it says, And when he, Jesus, had finished speaking, he said to Simon, who was later known as Peter, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. So they couldn't see who was standing at the shore, but it said that immediately after they hauled in the nets, that, that, that John recognized this is the Lord. Not because a miracle happened. I mean, he could have been just like a really smart old timer that knew how to fish well and was giving them good advice. No, they knew immediately it was the Lord because immediately it would have brought them back to the first call. When they were nobody fishermen out on a boat. They weren't only nobody fishermen. Apparently, they weren't even that great at their job. <laughs> and the Lord had called them. Drawing them back, reminding of them of where they came from. I said, reminding them that that's what they were. Fishermen that nobody would even recognize or pay attention to. 
fishermen that these gospel accounts, like I said, seems to indicate that they weren't even really good at what they did. And they caught the attention of this new upstart, seemingly significant rabbi. And the other disciples, not all of them were fishermen, but we do know that they were all outcasts and nobodies. They had nothing to offer. And yet Christ called them. And in that time, that was a significant thing because to be called by a rabbi was not something that very many had the opportunity to have. A rabbi's importance and significance was determined by the disciples he could gather around him and would always be seeking the best and the brightest, the most important and the most significant. If you remember before Christ's death and resurrection, we had the disciples even right after the Lord's Supper and multiple times before that they were fighting amongst themselves, clamoring over who was going to be greatest. They had all of these grand aspirations, and now they're back at the beginning, reminded of their call, that they were failing fishermen, and then a rabbi called them to be their disciples. But this time though it had many resemblances, was very different because now they know they had encountered the resurrected Lord that this was not just a great rabbi. This was God incarnate. This was the resurrected Messiah who had called them. And I think this realization had to have been both humbling and extremely emboldening. But also, this would have reminded them of that original call, the call that Jesus put on them, because in the gospel account, whenever they were first called, it says, and Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. Earlier, when Jesus appeared to the disciples in in the locked room, when he appeared to Thomas, and they were in that room afraid, he said the exact Same thing. Do not be afraid. And then he said to them, Peace be with you. As the Father sent me, so I am sending you. Though they had encountered the resurrected Lord, realizing in part the significance of it, they had not yet realized the significance for themselves. of what that call meant. And they're reminded that though they were once nobodies, blue-collar fishermen, nonetheless, they had been called by the resurrected Lord, the King of Kings. And it says that He has called them to be sent out once. That's actually what apostolos, where we get the term apostle, means. They were apostles of Christ alone. And it's interesting, the verb that is translated to haul as they're trying to haul in the nets, that that Greek verb is used elsewhere in in John's gospel. But it's used to mean drawn. 
as in 644, where Jesus says, no one can come to me unless drawn by the Father. And in 1232, he says, and when I am lifted up, I will draw all people to myself. This was a powerful reminder of their original call, and it was a powerful reminder to them of the significance of their call because it was not rooted in their ability or what they had to offer. But instead, as they were drawing in fish, that through them, Jesus was going to draw all men unto himself. And so we have that it was a reminder for them, but then also we see that they returned home, but they were different by focusing on Peter and looking at the response. In 7 through 11, it says, When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land but about a hundred yards off. When they got on, out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore, full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. I love, I love this story. Because as you kind of read through it, it's actually, it's, it's actually quite humorous. If you look at Peter's response, and, and the way that John narrates it, so first we have, we have the, them out fishing, and, in, in it, in it, and it said that he, when he realized it was the Lord, Peter like frantically grabs his clothing and, and says that he was stripped. That's just like more proper. He was naked. And just as a quick aside, I, a lot of times I, I rail against this whole concept of progress that somehow societally we are more progressive and we are better than the earlier societies. Um, the fact that we don't fish naked anymore is one area where I do think societally we have progress. Um, I, mo- all my friends that fish, I'm really glad that when we go out, they don't strip down naked. Um, it's just me. I just don't want to see it. But so you have him and, and, and it's funny because he's grabbing his clothes because he doesn't want to be like disheveled for Jesus and he jumps into the water, but it would have been a whole lot better for him not to put his clothes on because now he's getting weighed down with his cloaks and he's soaking wet. And then John makes the note that he do- dove into the water and the rest of them just stayed on the boat because the boat was not very far for shore. And so in his franticness, I, 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 I picture all the other disciples sitting on the boat on shore and then Peter like swimming, weighed down with his clothes, sogging wet, climbing up onto the shore to get to Jesus. And everybody else is there like, hey, hey Peter, like, <laughs> you could have just stayed on the boat. But what we see is this, this frantic running foolishness at the recognition that it was the Lord. What a contrast to Peter's first response when the Lord had told them to pull up those nets. In their first calling, it says, but when Simon Peter saw it, which was the catch that they, they had after Jesus had instructed them, it said that Simon Peter fell down at Jesus' knees saying, depart from me, 
For I am a sinful man, O Lord. What a contrast. It's also a reminder that when we encounter the real Jesus, not the Jesus that we make to fit our ideologies, the Jesus that we craft to reflect what we wished he was, but when we meet the real Jesus, it's, it's usually an either-or proposition. There's no in-between. We either hide and run and tell him to depart, or we foolishly get overwhelmed and run towards him. And I think this, this response of Peter originally was a response that was natural because all of us, Scripture says, are imposters. Trying to be our own gods. And when you have somebody who's an imposter, like, say, somebody who, who is who's pretending to be a police officer or somebody who's, who's trying, to, um, trying to convince people and act like he's a special ops agent so he can pick up chicks at the bar. Like, whenever you're doing that, you do that, and you're kind of emboldened, right? Because, you know, I'm a cop. Like, nobody can mess with me. Or, like, you know, I'm Navy SEAL. And like, you're doing all that. None of that is threatening. You're actually emboldened until you encounter the real thing. Because the one thing you don't want to encounter when you're impersonating a cop is a real cop. Then all of a sudden you're scared. And that's the same for us. That's our natural tendency. That's what Adam and Eve did. It says that they pursued the forbidden fruit because they sought to be like God. And then when God walked into the garden, they hid. But Peter, after walking with Jesus, encountering the resurrected Lord, he responded very differently. He foolishly swims to Jesus. And if you remember, this is in spite of the fact that he had just denied him. Three times. So like the disciples, I think all of us need to be reminded of where, where we are called from. But also to realize that we never go back to that place the same because we are forever changed if we have encountered the resurrected Lord. First, as a reminder for us, it's important for us to be reminded of our baptism. Whether we were baptized as a believer or baptized as an infant, the one thing that is the same about the two realities is none of us bring anything to the table. Whether you're a baby or a 50-year-old CEO. And we brought nothing with us that we were received by absolute grace. I have something uh, that we don't normally do, something that isn't, we, we never did in our, our, our mother church um, uh, grace, something that it was adopted by Anglicans, but comes from an ancient practice that is still common within the Roman church, and, and that's to have um, baptismal waters on a fount as you enter in the church. So I have some water there that is a representative of that, that the words of baptism are prayed over that water. And what the custom was is to then, you would, you would dip your fingers and, and, and either touch your forehead. But it was a reminder of your baptism. That as we enter into worship, 
we must first go back to that original call and cleansing that we received by grace. But it's because of grace that we are even here. And so, we are to be regularly reminded of where we came from and that call that we received. That baptism that has marked us as His and His by grace. And like the disciples, we are not only reminded of what we've been saved out of, what we were apart from Christ's call to us, but also what we are called to in light of the resurrection. That the one who called us has placed an incredible mark upon our life. And also just reflecting on the story of the disciples that sometimes... It feels like we keep going back home as in we keep going back to the same situation. Kind of like deja vu. Sitting on a boat, not catching fish. Wondering if I've been changed. Or if I'm still the same messed up loser that I always thought I was. But the reality is, is that transformation, that our perfection is not something that is contingent upon us, but it is a promise of God by grace that he will bring us to completion. And the thing that is important is that sometimes we end up back in those same places again. And externally, it seems like we have not moved forward. But then as we realize and reflect that in encountering the resurrected Lord, we might be in the same situation again, but we're not the same person anymore. That even when we're not aware of it, God has been at work in transforming our hearts and lives. Which leads to then our response. So we talked about baptism. The other gospel sacrament that we celebrate is, is the Eucharist. And what's important with that is that as we're reminded of our baptism, that then in response to that, that in spite of our failings and our weaknesses, in spite of our sins, in spite of the fact that we are not as we ought to be and we aren't what we wish we were, we can still, when we hear the call of the Lord to come to his table, that we can run foolishly. Even looking stupid while we're at it. Because we no longer need to hide. We can come boldly to the presence of our Lord. We all fail. We all fall short. Sometimes we feel as if we have nothing to offer. And then other times we arrogantly think that we have been called because clearly I'm so charismatic or so intelligent, so gifted and so talented. But God has his ways of making us go home. Reminding us of our calling. Reminding us that we were nothing before his call and the call has nothing to do with how great we are. 
but we have confidence and boldness that comes from knowing how great the one who called us is. Let me remind you of this call from Scripture. We are told that we at one time were darkness, but now are light. We're dead in our sins, but now made alive in Christ. We were once not a people, but now the people of God. We were orphans with no inheritance, and now we are children of God, heirs of his kingdom promises. We were enemies of God, and now his beloved, even called friends. We're slaves to our fallen desires and passions, slaves to the bondage that we've been placed in because of the fallen world which we live, the insecurities, the pain, the burdens, the past, that all wants to make us hide. But it says that we are now set free to run recklessly to our God's gracious arms. We are condemned, but now called the righteousness of God. We are consumed by a frantic pursuit of our own glory. Now it says that we are partakers of Christ's glory. And we are called out to reflect and proclaim his glory to the world around us. That's the calling that we need to be reminded of today. And if you haven't received that calling, that's the call that is placed on you right now. We all need to be reminded of our call over and over again. Reminded of our baptism. Whether through prayer, through reflection, or the ancient practice of taking some water and putting it on your forehead. And I want to tell you that even if you denied Jesus three times on the drive over here today that our response should be to run foolishly to our place at the Lord's table. Because he's calling us to himself. And that leaves us humbled yet emboldened, reminding us of who we are because of who has called us. So that then after this, we go out into the world, casting our nets wherever he might desire and direct us proclaiming his glory and his marvelous grace, the good news that Jesus is risen victorious over sin and death, that Jesus is Lord and through a ragtag bunch of fallen people who are redeemed by absolute grace, our risen Lord is calling all men to himself, drawing all men, providing a great hall, one that we couldn't provide because when we go out without him, we don't catch any fish. But when he directs us, he uses us in ways that we could never imagine being used by our glorious God. Thanks be to God for the call that he has placed upon his church. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Thank you for listening. Stay tuned for upcoming sermons and consider joining us in person for Sunday worship. To learn more, check out our website at franklinredeemer.org. Thy mercy, my God, is the theme of my song, the joy of my heart, and the boast of my tongue.